Snap Wilson, quarterback draw on third and 15. 20, 15, 10, oh, he's going to go! Five, touchdown, Cougars! Down the lane, back to Yo. Yo on the arc, shoots a three, and scores it. Yo, the Childs for three. To the right, putting a shot on goal. It is a goal for Elise Blake. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. And now, here's Greg Rubel. Hello once again, Cougar Nation, and following our holiday break, we are back, and I welcome you back inside Studio 2 here at the BYU Broadcasting Building in Provo, Utah, for another edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, 60 minutes of Cougar conversations with BYU sports personalities past and present. I am Greg Rubel. It's good to be back with you live on BYU Radio. We are coast-to-coast on Sirius XM 143 and in northern Utah on 107.9 FM and 89.1 FM HD2. We are also streaming live online at BYUradio.org and on the BYU Radio app. You can listen on demand by subscribing to the Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast and also at BYUradio.org where you can find every episode on our show's page archived for you. On this evening's broadcast, I am joined by one of the mainstays of the last four seasons of BYU women's soccer, Captain Maddie Sidaway-Gates. And she will be followed by former BYU football national champion, 12-year NFL veteran, and current ESPN college football analyst Trevor Maddich. My interview with Trevor is tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU alumni. But we begin tonight with the lone senior on this past season's WCC championship BYU women's soccer squad, Maddie Sidaway-Gates. Maddie made her mark. Firstly, as a freshman back in 2015, scoring her first college goal against Utah at a packed South Field. She would start her senior season by scoring the Cougars game winner in the season opener and would go on to score five on the season, tying her fourth for fourth on a 13-win team that scored 49 goals on the year. Not only did Maddie score goals, she scored big goals. Of her six career tallies, five were game winners, including four of her five this past season. A former All-State first-team selection as a high school player during her BYU career, Maddie was named to the WCC All-Freshman team, earned a spot on the WCC Commissioner's Honors Roll, and received both league and region academic commendations. As team captain as a senior, Maddie was also active in the campus community and in 2018 was a BYU representative at the NCAA's Career in Sports Forum. Also in 2018, Maddie married BYU baseball pitcher Riley Gates, who soon will begin his senior season on the mound. A great player and a wonderful person, Maddie Sidaway-Gates joins me now behind the mic. Yes, for sure. I'm glad to be here, Greg. You are a Cache County native. Is that true? That is true. (laughs) Born and raised? Born and raised. Whole life? Yep, entire life, Cache Valley. So take us way back. Uh, What cities did you really grow up in? Um, I grew up in Smithfield, and then when my parents got divorced, we moved to North Logan, which is super close. So I still ended up going to the same high school. How old were you when that happened? Um, I was nine. Siblings? How many? Yes, I have an older brother, and he's married, and they have two little kids, and then two younger brothers. There are some other athletes in the family beside yourself? Yes. (laughs) My brothers all played football and baseball growing up, and then my brother Jackson, um, has been at the U, and he couldn't play this season with a shoulder injury, so that was kind of a bummer. But and he's a quarterback. Yes, he is. And he was a good high school quarterback. He was a very good high school quarterback. And while you were playing soccer at BYU, you were keeping a close eye on his high school football career, were you not? Yes, I was, and my parents had to juggle games. <laughs> we we had a lot of games on the same night, but it was fun. What are your favorite uh, memories of growing up? Skiing, for sure. My family's a big ski family. Um, so we do that together and then just playing sports together. I, I remember, you know, growing up with three brothers, I would play football in the backyard and, and baseball. And so, so that was super fun. A lot of good memories with that. I'm not sure if the phrase tomboy still gets used or if it's politically <laughs> correct or not, but would that have described you kind of? Or, I mean... Um, yeah, I would say, but also my, you know, I was still a mama's girl. I still danced when I was young till I was 12 and, I liked doing those kinds of things, too. So you like the arts in addition to sports? Yes. <laughs> so when did sports begin to really win out for you? Um, so like I said, I did competitive dance till I was 12, and then I was also playing soccer. And, and around 12, 13 is when soccer really won out. It started to get really competitive and time-consuming. So, Since uh, the backyard football career didn't really blossom into anything <laughs> else with football, when did, when did so- were you doing other stuff besides soccer, sports-wise? Yeah, I played softball, basketball. 
Um, but yeah, once I was about 13, I just, I pretty much just started to play soccer. So when you got to high school, you were a soccer player at that point. Oh yeah. Yeah. For straight sure. up. And you were at Skyview. Yeah. Yes. Yes. How, how would you describe your, your, your family? I know you said there's, there's athletes in it and, and it's all boys except for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Um, how did that form you? The fact there were no sisters around. Like I said, I just think I did a lot of things with my brothers. They didn't let me whine or complain, really. (laughs) I didn't really get away with much. So um, I think it kind of shaped me in that way, helped me, you know, figure out tough love. And um, my mom's kind of the same way. So, yeah, I think that that was a big part of growing up. And I'm I'm super grateful. I loved just, you know, I was kind of spoiled, I guess, because I was the only girl. But it was a fun childhood. Would you say you were a tough kid in terms of the ability to, uh, like, play through injuries, that kind of thing? Yeah, I would. I would say maybe my brothers wouldn't, you know, but (laughs) I would like to say I was. Now, when you were becoming a competitive soccer player, when did clubs start to really start to take over and it became a big thing for you? Um, So I played with Infinity when I was in Cache Valley and I had a super awesome coach named Hobson and he was from Brazil. Um, Brindley on our team played for him too. So we we started doing really well and then um, he ended up moving back to Brazil when I was about 13. And then um, when club really became big for me was when I started traveling down to Leighton to play for La Roca. And so obviously that's why I just had to stick with soccer because it was just super time consuming, the travel and the commitment to, you know, sometimes four practices a week and then a game. So it was it was a lot of commitment for me and for my family. And in this state, uh, La Roca is a big name when it comes yes. to club soccer, right? Yes, they are. Was it kind of a big thing for you to be with them at that time? Um, yeah, I did think... You, did you recognize it as such? Or? I, I, I don't know. I had another friend who two other friends who would travel down with me. And I think just for me at the time, I was just playing the game I love, you know? At what stage did you realize that you were good, like really good? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Greg, I don't know if I ever was like, dang... I'm really good. I made it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, my my team started to win state championships, you know, consecutive years in a row. We we ended up with 5 and then I think when BYU reached out to me was when I, you know, got really excited about, you know, soccer and when I came to my first BYU camp, um that's when I was like, oh, you know, this this could be what I could be doing later in life. So that was kind of the moment maybe. Yeah. When, yeah. when BYU interest popped um, up. Yeah, and maybe a little before that, when I came down to Southfield and saw a game, I was like, oh my goodness, Like, I want to play here. So that was, that was an inspiration then for you at that point? Oh yeah, oh yeah. How would you describe your role on those championship teams you just talked about? What kind of player were you with those teams? Um, I played in the midfield, so I feel like a lot of my contribution to the games came from you know, being a playmaker and uh, contributing that way kind of being in control of the game I feel like the midfield that's kind of your responsibility and then um, I was captain of of my team um, along with another girl Kelsey who plays at Utah State and I feel like that was also a big um, one of my roles is just kind of being a leader out there on the field. So you were a club captain you were a high school captain yes and then you became a college captain we'll get to that a little (laughs) bit later but if you had to speak objectively why do you think that either coaches or teammates looked at you that way and selected you for that honor? I think one of my strengths um, as a leader is that I'm I'm vocal. I bring a lot of energy. And so I think, um, you know, my teammates can look to that. And in soccer, I think I think that's super important, having that communication on the field and the energy. So I think that's, you know, two of my strengths that I bring as a as a leader in soccer. I want to backtrack. I know your mom pretty well. Yes. Uh, I don't know your dad as well. And there was a divorce that you talked about, not to not to go downbeat or anything, but how did that also shape or form you, that, that particular transition? Yeah, I think it was um, an event that helped shape me. I feel like I don't look back at that time and think, gosh, that was such a hard time in my life. I think my my parents and my mom especially, you know, enforced in me and in my brothers that we can we can overcome anything and that it's it's kind of the perspective and how you look at it and and having that positive perspective and mindset and so I think that was kind of ingrained in me from a young age and and really kind of translated to sports for me and and I think for my brothers did you and your brothers all stay living with one parent yes with our mom yeah but we'd we'd see our dad okay is that still the case today yeah 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, still, you're obviously grown up, but, yeah. but you still see both parents. Yeah, on, yeah, yeah. No, I have a great relationship with both my mom and dad, so it's it's a it's a good situation okay. for all of us. Was there a stage where where mom became the the dominant parental presence in terms of your soccer career? No, I think they both supported me, but I think my mom had a kind of do a lot of the work like with driving me down to Layton and yeah. and that sort of a thing so that's how it was she's a wonderful lady by the way yeah she is you might you might I'm, share that opinion <laughs> I am pretty lucky she's pretty great and and the uh, the club commitment what uh if somebody's not as familiar as others with uh with club soccer what's the what's the most uh trying thing or challenging thing about that whole situation really I just think that the competitiveness and the time commitment like club soccer is huge you know like I think in a lot of other sports when you're getting recruited college coaches will come to high school events but for soccer you know that if you play soccer it's all about club and so that's that's really where you know a lot of your recruiting and your time and energy goes is to the club game. Okay, let's go back to your first exposure to BYU beyond coming down and seeing a game. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess camps would be the next big step into where yeah. they kind of know who you are and you're kind of yeah. getting introduced to the to, to the program. How old were you when you were first starting to camp with BYU? Um, I went to my first camp. I got an email asking me to come to camp. and First of all, that in and of itself, I guess, would be pretty cool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I re- I remember where I was on the front porch <laughs> with my mom and we're like, I have to go. And uh, so I think I was 14. I, would, I think I was 14. Okay. So you're close to, you're close to freshman age almost, right? Yes. Yeah. Did you know about Jen Rockwood at that point? I knew who she was. She was that scary lady who had a ball cap on who would watch my games from the corner (laughs) and you knew if she was there but yeah no I love Jen okay when did when did things begin to really heat up between you and BYU then um probably my freshman year because I committed the end of my sophomore year so probably those two years were big just back and forth um coming to camps those summers and they they were a lot at a lot of our club events and yeah just I think right before probably those two years before I committed what did it mean to you and your family to get an offer so early pretty exciting yeah for me I think it was my dream to come to play at BYU and so um I remember when they offered I actually couldn't accept it because I was going to a invitational um in Florida and I you couldn't be committed to go to it so I didn't accept the offer till I got home, but I remember my mom was there with me when they offered, and we were pretty pretty ecstatic. Now you had I have an older brother. How much older than you was he? Um, he is three and a half years older than me. Did he go to college? Yes, he went to Utah State. Did he go to college as an athlete or as a student? Just as a student. So you would be the first student athlete in your family. Then I get this at this yes, point. Yes, yeah. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah, but yeah, I guess, but I. I didn't look at it as that. I, I mean, I looked up a ton to my older brother, and he was he was so talented. So, and I I think honestly he could have played, but I guess I was the first one. So I guess you could say it was a big deal. What would he have played? What sport was his? Uh, football. Yeah. So Utah State for him, and since you grew up around there, was Utah State? Uh, now they had to have some interest, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Describe the Utah State BYU decision if there was one there. I got to be honest, for soccer, it was so easy for me. I wanted to be here. Um, I mean, Utah State's a great school, but I grew up there, and I wanted to kind of have an experience elsewhere, and and BYU was really where I wanted to be, especially in terms of soccer and, yeah, just everything. But in terms of the community or the family, was there like a pro-Aggie feel? Like, did you have (laughs) fond feelings for Utah State? I yeah, I've always grown up as an Aggie, honestly, going to games and everything and honestly my my older brother's gone there, my parents went there. Um one of my younger brothers is now going. So we're definitely an Aggie family and I definitely got <laughs> a lot of <laughs> jokes when I committed to BYU, not just from my family, but from a lot of people 
around me in school because there's a lot of Aggie fans up there, obviously. But when it came for so when it came to down to soccer, there was really no. I mean, you wanted to be at BYU for yes, a lot of reasons. Yes, for sure. Yeah. All right, uh, we're chatting with Maddie Sidaway Gates, BYU soccer player. Her career has concluded. Her scholastic career continues. We'll talk about that uh, coming up after this break. This is behind the mic with Greg Rubel. It's on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 43, BYURadio.org, and the BYU Radio app. We are brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. More with Maddie Sidaway Gates right after this. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. My guest is BYU women's soccer captain Maddie Sidaway Gates. She has concluded her BYU playing career. You have a few more classes to finish out, though. We are talking at the start of the winter semester. So what do you have left? I have this semester left. I'll walk in April and then two classes in spring. So I'm super close. Does it feel kind of weird to be done with soccer? It feels so weird. <laughs> yeah, the team starts up this week and I'm not going to be there. It's, it's different. Could you show up? N- no, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> You're like you, you can't like you can't play with them. You can't. You're done. Oh, I'm done. I can play with the alumni though, and they still play a lot, so that's fun at least. So you're still getting out and running around a little bit occasionally. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That'll never leave you, right? You're still going to want to be a soccer player. Yes, for sure. And Always. so, and, and when alumni games come up every summer, you're going to want to be involved, right? Oh, one hundred percent. I told the team, better watch out. I'm coming for them. <laughs> alumni game. All right, you went to 15, 16, 17, 18, uh, four straight years. Your freshman season, I think we opened in Hawaii. Yes. Was, it, was your first college game out in Hawaii? It's not too bad. Yes. We had our, um, we played Arizona before. Uh, we, exhibition. Exhibition, yeah. But the and first then, regular season game yes. you played would have been against a ranked team in Cal out in Hawaii. Yes. Before the rains Cal. came. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Remember that game. It's pretty memorable. We'll start your career out in the islands. Yeah. That freshman year. Uh, ended up in the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. uh, went over Utah Valley, lost at a very good Stanford team. So mm-hmm. things ended after two games. In the NCAA, and that featured that season featured your first college goal, and it came against Utah. <laughs> can you can you remember the play? Yes, it was a corner kick. I believe Paige took it, um, and I was on the far side of the box. The ball kind of bounced around, landed at my feet, and I. Took a left-footed shot, I believe, and it went to the far corner, upper, upper ninety. First Can't goal, forget it. First goal comes against Utah at Southfield. Kind of, kind of storybook right there, right? Yeah, that was fun. And that's as a freshman, and that's how you kind of uh, leapt onto the page here at BYU. We talked about you committing and going to camps. Mm-hmm. Did, it, did it feel like it was a long time till you finally got to actually suit up for BYU? Yes and no. I enjoyed playing club. I enjoyed my high school. Um, But yeah, I was excited when I finally got to get here and put on the jersey. Okay, that was your freshman year. Your sophomore year, BYU plays in the NCAA tournament again, Mm -hmm. and it was your deepest run as a player. Uh, You guys made it to the um, Mm -hmm. Sweet 16. Yep. Played at the number one team in the country in South Carolina. Yes. And saw things come to an end there after having beaten Oklahoma two days prior. Great win. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a heartbreaker. one nothing game, and it was a yeah. dicey call, as I recall. And what are your memories of that, that, or that run sophomore year? Great year. I wasn't playing a ton that year, but I learned a ton. I think um, on the field from players ahead of me, you know, Ashley Murphy and some of those great players who have come through the program. And then, you know, off the field, it's challenging, you know, not – not playing and starting every game and so I think overall it it really built my character and I learned a ton so first year two games in the NCAA tournament and an, a WCC championship yeah uh the next year three games in the NCAA tournament WCC mm-hmm. again yeah and then the next year your junior year mm-hmm. is a bit of a different year for BYU <laughs> yep and and this kind of sets things up and yeah. so it was a year that would be you went seven eight and four no league championship, no NCAA tournament. Yeah. And that is just not how things go here, right? You know that. No, it is not. What are your thoughts about that year? I think that was a hard year for everyone um, involved. Really challenging. Um, yeah, we just we just weren't the team we wanted to be that season. What uh, ultimately was missing if there was such a thing? I just think... Above all, it was our 
our team culture, our team morale a little bit, um, I think was, was off a little bit that year. And so, um, you know, those kinds of things, I think, you know, that's the difference between a tie and a, a win. That season, I feel like it didn't come down to one thing, but I think there was kind of that pressure even from the year before, you know, we'd gone to the sweet 16, we'd been a really, really dominant team. Um, and then I think there was a lot of pressure for those seniors. Um, and all of them, I, I honestly look up to all of them, but that, I think, mm. you know, there, there was kind of that feeling. It was, it was like, gosh, another tie, another loss. And I think it was hard. So that set it up for your senior season and a, a season in which you were elected to be a captain. Having just gone through what you went through, mm-hmm. how did that maybe inform how you wanted to put a stamp on your senior team, if you could, as a captain or as a leader? Yeah, I think um, coming off that hard year, there were a lot of um, changes that me and several of the other players wanted to make and changes that I think the coaches made. And um, I think for me, above all, it was what I really wanted from my senior year after such a hard season was just to be able to enjoy the game and really be able to lead my team and help them in whatever way that was for me. Having been a club captain, having been a high school captain, being elected to be now a college captain, what are some things on your to-do list? I think taking care of things off the field, the relationships are super important and and that, you know, leaks on to in-game stuff. And so I think a lot of what we focused on in the off-season before this fall season was developing um, those kinds of things, the relationships, the communication, and and our our team culture. How did you how did you influence team culture? I think you know just before before we went into the off season, me and a couple girls sat down and said, "This is what we want to do, and this is how we're going to do it." And I think setting those um, things in place right from the beginning and and having people on the same page as me who were also leaders on the team really helped influence us for this entire year. The season got underway uh, on the road, in fact three straight road games to open the year and the first game at Cal State Fullerton goes to overtime and in the first game of your senior year you sc- back to the storybook thing you score <laughs> the game winner on a PK in overtime. Felt good. That yeah. was fun. Fun way to start out the year. I still remember the play that set it up. I remember you step into the dot, and uh, what a great way to open your senior campaign, right? Yes, that was fun. Did it feel at that moment that things were going to, like, this, we're, we're going to turn a page here? We felt like we were going to turn a page, Greg, clear in last January, <laughs> I think. So when that game came, I think that was more of the, like, yeah, we, we're going to do this. You guys really tested yourselves, uh, ranked teams, ranked teams on the road. You played the number one team in Stanford, really prepped you for the WCC season. You know, Santa Clara is, is a name, and, and Pepperdine has been playing well, and yep. Pepperdine got you early yeah. in the conference campaign, which kind of made every game from that, pl- uh, that point on out felt like a must win. It felt like you yep. were already in some kind of playoff yep. every game you played. How much did the Pepperdine loss kind of uh, uh, reset things for you, and how would you describe the determination that led to the season-ending run you went on in league? Yeah, I think the Pepperdine game was important for us. It was kind of that mid-season game that, you know, we a game that I felt like and that we all felt like we should have won, but we didn't. And so I think it kind of helped us refocus, refocus, put us back where we, you know, needed to be mentally. And, and from them on, then on out, it was kind of like every game, every game's got to be ours. Your last home game as a BYU Cougar was number six Santa Clara coming to your place, and you guys knew that with a win there, you'd basically lock it down yep. in terms of the league championship. How gratifying was it to bring in a nationally ranked team, uh, a preseason favorite, and shut them out on your home field that night? That felt so good. It was exciting. That goal from Kayla in the beginning was was just you know even thinking about it can't even talking about it so many emotions and then from being again in the second half it was just a total team win so exciting so fun to have Santa Clara there and to really you know take them out 2-0. You went to LMU to truly finish the conference campaign did so with a win to just kind of seal the conference championship Mm -hmm. and it puts you into the NCAA tournament and I really did feel that you guys were primed for a run 
like a deep run, like like yeah. things were peaking at the right time. Yeah, you yeah. guys went to TCU, scored the first goal. Mm-hmm. At that point, you got to think, okay, things are where we need them to be. Yeah, how would you describe that night? Yeah, I I felt the same way. We were we were totally ready for a run um, in the tournament. We were so excited, and and like I agree with you, I felt like we, we were peaking at the right time. Um, and after Elise got that goal off an assist from Kayla, we, you know, we felt like we had it. We played so well that first half, probably one of the best halves, honestly, all season and against a really good team. And then I just think second half, they, you know, TCU made some changes and we weren't, you know, ready to adapt fast enough. And it was a tough loss, tough last game. I wasn't able to be with you guys. I, I was uh, back east calling a football game in Boston, but following the game mm-hmm. uh, from where I was, mm-hmm. as sudden as it felt for you, it felt the same way for me as if there's no more work to be done. I, I won't be doing any, doing any more games. Yeah. And for you, it's you're not playing any more games. Can you describe just the kind of surreal finality of it all when you walk off the field that way? Yeah, I remember being in the huddle with with the team, and I just – lost it like just realizing that ooh, I'm gonna start losing it now but realizing that you're taking off the cleats for the last time it's hard but if you have to look back on your career as a as a whole and in total uh more smiles than tears right yes lots (laughs) more smiles we need to bring up your husband uh Riley (laughs) at some point here we'll get we'll get uh, happy time here going here uh when did you meet Riley Gates um I met him my freshman year um, in a Book of Mormon class. That was the first time we met. Did you know Riley at that point as just a guy, a classmate, or a student athlete as well? Um, he was on the back row with all the baseball players, so definitely knew he was a student athlete. <laughs> okay. So baseball guy, uh, yep. pitcher. And so you met as a freshman and uh, began dating kind of immediately? Or? No, no. We were just friends. I actually wanted to set him up with one of my roommates. <laughs> but later on down the road, so we met my freshman year and then at the beginning of my sophomore year is when we got set up on a date and then we started dating. Things went from there. Yeah. Yeah, uh you married when? We married it's been a year now, so January 4th, 2018. Okay, just past a year. Yeah. Yep. So a year and a few days. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And and Riley is an excellent pitcher, a southpaw, a lefty. So uh, a favorite of mine as a fellow, <laughs> fellow left-hander. And he has dealt with some ups and downs in his uh, career, uh, injury-related. And yes. he's on the bounce back, isn't he? He's on the yep. comeback trail. Yep. How's he doing? He's doing really well. He's back at 100% pitching, and so he's ready to go this season. I'm excited for him. What are his expectations for the team and for himself this year, do you think? Um, as far as he's told me, he's really excited about the team this year. Uh, a lot of new guys on the team, but they're looking really good. And um, personally for him, I think he's just really ready to be back out there on the mound. It's been almost a year, um, and he's just excited to be back out there and, and kind of do his thing. Does he have his sight set on a professional career if it works out that way? Yes, he would love to. And. I think he he has the ability to do so. He just needs the opportunity. How much have you learned to love baseball, or did you already like it to begin with? Um, my brothers all played growing up, so I've I've always you know appreciated baseball. But I think even more so now. I've spent a lot of time at Miller Park, so <laughs> I I definitely appreciate the game. And you'll be there again this season. I will be. <laughs> all right, gosh, it was good to have you in. We've had many conversations over the years, but not in this particular setting, long form interview. So thanks for. Uh, subjecting yourself to it thanks for having me i figured i better get you before you're really gone oh goodness doesn't feel real (laughs) you're awesome greg well thank you uh soccer career complete scholastic career continuing so uh keep hanging in there with school and we'll hope the best for you and riley especially riley uh, when it comes to baseball this year we'll keep an eye on the two of you thank you all the best to you and thanks for coming in thanks greg all right that is maddie sitaway gates my guest on behind the mic with greg grubel coming up We'll talk with former BYU Cougar, NFLer, and current ESPN college football analyst Trevor Maddich as Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel continues here on BYU Radio. We are brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Trevor Maddich, next. Stay with us. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. 
We are back on Behind the Mic. It is time now for our Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU Alumni. Want to help BYU students but don't know how? You can with BYU Alumni Chapters. Find the chapter that fits you at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. And tonight, it's a conversation with former BYU football national champion, first-round NFL draft pick, 12-season NFL veteran, and pro and college football analyst, Trevor Maddich, arriving in Provo from Sacramento in the late 1970s. Trevor played for BYU for two years before uh, two years before and two years after his LDS mission. Upon returning from service in Mexico, Trevor alternated with uh, Robert Adai, of all people, as a starting center on the 1983 team quarterback by Steve Young. Then in 1984, he took over as the full-time starting center for BYU's 13-0 national championship team, earning All-America honors in the process. He then became a first-round draft pick of the New England Patriots in 1985 and over the next 12 seasons lined up in almost 150 games with five NFL teams as a lineman and long snapper. After retiring from the NFL, Trevor began a pro and college broadcasting career that has seen him win multiple Emmy Awards and the respect of, of colleagues and fans coast-to-coast to appreciate uh, Trevor's incisive and clever commentary. And it is my pleasure to welcome in Trevor Maddich behind the mic. Hello, Trevor. Hello, Greg. That was a wonderful intro, man. I appreciate you saying all those nice things. No, I'm, I'm, and, and I'm, I'm glad you've done all those nice things. It makes for a great intro. Uh, you've been back east for so long, I think, that you're not associated with the West Coast necessarily, but you were before BYU, a California kid, right? Yep, I grew up in Sacramento, California, Rio Americano High School, and it just seemed like with college, I, I went east to Utah and BYU, and then in my NFL career, I just kept on moving east, and I think if I went any farther east, I'd be in the Atlantic Ocean right now. <laughs> Where did you do all, uh, all of your growing up? Uh, was it always uh, Northern California and Sacramento, or were you somewhere else before that? No, it was always there. As a matter of fact, uh, almost always in the same house when I was about five years old. Uh, Mom moved us from uh, our house in North Highlands right outside of Sacramento, to the place that she still is in today. So mm. it's been a real anchor from a standpoint of home base. And uh, what kind of family did you grow up in? Uh, Mom was a divorced mother of four. She mm. was a teacher um, and worked two and three jobs at a time, taught nights, had businesses. Uh, and all the while, she was always there for us. And that, one way I describe her was that she is relentlessly cheerful. Hmm. She had every reason to get down because life kind of dumped a lot of stuff on her, things that we didn't understand as kids at the time, but we do now. And she still was relentlessly cheerful. And I don't mean as an act. I mean, she saw life through the best possible lens that she could, even when she had every excuse not to. And I, I just remember so many times when, when she'd be at ball games where we were playing Little League Baseball or something like that, cheering us on, so happy. And I remember now, though, one particular game, as a matter of fact, uh, I was playing right field in Little League, and she was out there in right field in this old brown beaten-up station wagon sitting there uh, on the tailgate that was down and, and cheering me on, so happy to be there with her son. And I remember her shoes. They were these canvas shoes that had holes in them because she didn't buy new clothes for herself. She went, she would go five, six years at a time without buying a single thing for herself to wear. She'd just patch them up and keep going because she wanted to make sure that we had a glove or a ball or, or the right kind of shoes for us to play sports. And we always thought that that was just natural. I mean, you open the closet and there's stuff in there for you to go play with. You turn on the light switch, the lights comes on. You open the fridge, there's food there. And we didn't understand the sacrifices that she went to in order to provide those things for us. And now that we're adults and we look back on all that stuff, I think as her children, we are humbled, astonished, and filled mm. with love for the sacrifices that she made for us. How many siblings, Trevor? Four. I'm second of four. It's uh, girl, me, girl, boy. So uh, you had a certain appreciation for her, obviously, from the, from the child's perspective at that time that's clearly deepened with, uh, with, with, time, with time's passage, right? It absolutely has, because as an adult, you look and see what she went through. And it's not just what she went through. You know, most people, most people have real struggles in life that they have to get through. And hers were, you know, her own. But it's not like it was anything greater than a lot of people have to go through. To me, it was the, um, the attitude that she carried through it. Yeah. That's why now, like, you know, people would ask me, you know, I'll drive 
all around the country in the off season um, on my own time, my own expense, visiting college football programs. It'll take me many weeks. I'll go 12, 14,000 miles sometimes. I'm paying for the hotel. I'm paying for the gas. So I can visit coaches, visit players, see what's happening at programs, and it helps me be better as a college football broadcaster. And people ask me why in the world I do that. They think I'm completely nuts. Do I hate it? And my answer is always the same. It's like, no, I I don't hate it. Because every mile that I drive takes me closer to a potential new great experience. Hmm. And I liken it to to, uh, football training in, you know, March in the snow, running wind sprints until you can't breathe and you're sick when nobody's there to cheer you on and there's no guarantee you'll make the team the next, the next summer. But you do that not because you like running wind sprints in March in the snow. You do that because you like playing the Dallas Cowboys on Monday night in October, and that's the price you pay to get there. So I learned from mom at an early age to associate the result that you're looking for with the pathway to get there. And I think that, that that has made my life a lot more cheerful because instead of focusing on what I don't like in the moment, mm-hmm. I liken that to or I associate it with what I do want down the road. And I learned that from mom. Would you, uh, would you have considered yourself or we call you a late bloomer when it comes to football? <laughs> Greg, I was, I was more than a late bloomer. I was uh, almost too late bloomer. <laughs> when, I, when I was a kid growing up, I was one of the smaller kids in my class. We're talking elementary school and on the way up. I was slow. I was uncoordinated. I was the last kid picked for recess for football and basketball and softball and things like that. And sometimes they wouldn't pick me at all. they just pick teams and go play and leave me there standing because I was that bad. I made elementary school and junior high teams because there was no cuts. And so I'm talking football teams. So I'm on the football team like in 7th and 8th grade, flag football, but there were no cuts. They kept everybody. I never played. My freshman year in high school was my first year of tackle football, and I thought now will be the time. You know, I, My dad was a great athlete. My little brother was already a great athlete. Now, now it's tackle football. I'll show them how tough I am. Uh, well, they, uh, they kept me on the team because they had no cuts. Um, they made me play center, but it didn't matter uh, because I didn't play. Actually, I did play. I played in the fifth quarter. <laughs> this was the thing where – they had an extra quarter after the game that didn't count so that the players that were so bad that they couldn't play in the regular game would play in the fifth quarter so that the parents wouldn't get mad at the coach for not playing their kid. You're not joking. I, no, I played in the fifth quarter. That was it. Uh, sophomore year, I moved up to JV, was the only center on the team, played part of the time. You know, you do the math on that one. Uh, <laughs> junior year, moved up to the varsity because it was sort of an age thing and uh, got into the first game and never played again. Tried out for the basketball team in high school all three years, got cut all three years. So now my senior year rolls around, right? So basically, I had been cut from every team that had cuts. I was allowed on the football teams only because they had no cuts, but I didn't play. So I went ahead and tried out anyway, and that was the first year I'd ever earned a starting position at any school sport. And that year, I was all-conference uh, all Sacramento, all Northern California, nominated for high school All-Americans and got scholarship interest from about 60 schools. So it turned out to be a pretty good year. But all during that time, before I ever knew anything like that would happen, I wanted to be better than I was. And so I went out early to practice to work on little drills, and I stayed late after practice to work on little drills. Uh, carried that into BYU, carried that into the NFL, and do it now as a broadcaster. So these are some things you can kind of trace the roots hmm. back. When you talk about being a late bloomer, you know, I was, I was not just an afterthought. I was a liability until my senior year in high school. And from there I went on to become a, a first-round draft choice, we're going to say. Well, I, I'm sure you've had multiple occasions over the years to speak to different kinds of groups. And I can only imagine that these kinds of experiences um, have hopefully and ideally inspired somebody in your audience because this is a, this is a great story. Well, I, thanks. You know, at the time, it didn't feel great. But looking back on it, turns out it was. And I, I think the important thing for people starting on their journey is not that if you do all this stuff, you'll become a first-round draft choice, play in the NFL, and win 14 Emmys and all that stuff. Because sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes the door isn't open where you want it to be at the time you want it to be. But these are success principles that will carry over into anything that you do in your life. They're habits that you form. And for me, had it not worked out in football, all those years in high school when I was trying to get better and I worked on, you know, stayed 
uh, late after practice, went to the next practice early to work on drills. Everybody else was in hanging out and all that stuff. I was still working out there. Uh, all those things have made me a better broadcaster. All those things would have made me a better businessman or entrepreneur or anything mm-hmm. else that I happen to do because they're success principles that work anywhere you go. That's one of the reasons that I love college football so much. It's the personal development side, not just the player development, where there's a, um, an advanced curriculum, basically, that has nothing to do with football but everything to do with teaching young men how to go from being an unguided missile in high school to mm. a productive man going into society. And those kinds of, of things that you're taught are the same kinds of things that make you a better football player. I was talking with Nick Saban about this on one of my tours a couple of years ago in his office. I asked him uh, about you know, how, how he's able to sustain such success. And he says the most important thing is to build young men because those young men are better football players if they're better men. And so that's where the, the interests of a football coach who wants to win on the field and a mentor who wants to develop young men off the field, those interests converge there. And in college football programs that get it and do it right, like Alabama and like Clemson, the mm-hmm. teams we just saw in the national championship game, it is, it's a marvel to behold. And I think that's something you've got to realize as you're going through this at the beginning stages, that it may work out in the field you want it to work out. But either way, if you develop the habits, it will carry you where you want to go from a standpoint of success, even if that success is down a different path. In terms of carrying you where you want to go, did you want to go to BYU for a long time? You mentioned the 60 scholarship offers, let's say, finally, as a high school senior, some success comes. Interest in BYU and vice versa, how would you describe it? Uh, At the beginning, it was kind of casual. Everything was new to me. I, I didn't really understand what success was like. And so being recruited was weird. And I didn't have an expectation, and I certainly didn't have a sense of entitlement. Uh, My five recruiting trips went to four schools in the Pac-10 at the time, now the Pac-12, and BYU. And it came down to Cal Berkeley or BYU. And and really, both of them I thought were very similar from the standpoint of football at the time. Both academically were really good schools. uh, But it came down for me to the honor code, essentially. I grew up LDS and went to uh, Cal on my recruiting trip, and where they basically ushered me around to was frat party after frat party. And everybody, you know, had tapped a keg, and that's what they did. And I'm fine with them doing that, but that's just not what I wanted to do. At BYU, I was around people that wanted to live kind of a lifestyle that I wanted to live when I was in college. And so I went to BYU in part because of the honor code, not in spite of it. And, and, you know, I didn't realize what a special place it was. Matter of fact, I didn't even know what a special place was at the time. It mm. was just, you know, I just learned as I went along. But once I got to BYU, I kind of understood more about it. And today I know more about it than I ever have. And uh, that's how the interest began, though. It was just, okay, good. You guys want to talk to me? I'll talk to you. What about? Okay. And then it ended up with BYU, and then it ended up with a real journey of understanding what the place was really about. Your last season at BYU was my first season at BYU as a student coming down from Canada to attend at BYU, and that, of course, was the national championship season. As you've looked back on it uh, over many years with many different people, I'm sure, what have you kind of distilled to be the integral components of what went down that year going 13-0? There was a brotherhood. We had a lot of NFL guys on that team. I mean, a lot. The talent was outstanding. I mean, when BYU first opened their their practice facility with the museum out front, they ran on a loop a, a video of the highlights of that season. And I went over and stood in front of that screen as a, as a guy who had been through the NFL now and a broadcaster, so I looked at football in a different way. And I'm looking at our personnel, and I'm seeing offensive linemen that are squared up and locked out. I'm seeing defensive linemen that have low pad level reestablishing the line of scrimmage on the offensive side. I'm seeing fast running backs and receivers. I'm seeing defensive backs and linebackers that will knock your shoulder pads off when they hit you. And I'm thinking, man, that's a good team, right? But in the moment, I don't think any of us looked at any of the others as this guy's a star and this guy isn't. I think we were truly a brotherhood, and we pulled for each other. As a matter of fact, when the final gun sounded on the Holiday Bowl that completed our undefeated season uh, against Michigan, mm-hmm. the first people I went to go thank 
and talked to. It wasn't the quarterback and it wasn't the coach. I went to the scout team guys because they gave us fits in practice. They never got into a game, but they knew our weaknesses and they knew how to exploit them. That made us get better. And had it not been for those guys, I don't know that we would have pulled some of those games out of the fire. Those are the first, they were part of the brotherhood. They still are. They're still an important part of the national championship. And I think that's what stands out most about that season is that while there were definitely stars on that team, nobody felt like there were stars on that team. Hmm. Do for a short break here, Trevor. Before I do, though, what did your time at BYU ultimately mean to you? I grew up from literally a naive kid. I mean, I made Howdy Doody look sophisticated to a young man who was ready to step into uh, the big world. I went from Provo, Utah, the bubble, ended up in Boston as a first-round draft choice of the New England Patriots. Boy, was that different. But had I not been through what I went through at BYU, I wouldn't have had, I think, the moral foundation to stick to what I believed was right. And BYU was a big part of that. It is break time. When we come back, we'll talk briefly about uh, Trevor's pro football and broadcasting careers. As Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel continues, we are here on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, 107.9 FM in northern Utah, along with BYURadio.org and streaming live on the BYU Radio app. Closing comments from Trevor Maddich next here on BYU Radio. Welcome back to Behind the Mic, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Here's your host, Craig Rubel. We are back on Behind the Mic, visiting with former BYU football All-American, NFLer, and longtime pro and college football broadcaster Trevor Maddich. From part-time starter as a junior to first-round NFL draft pick a year and a half later, things really ramped up for Trevor. And not a ton of time left, Trev, but uh, some brief word association, if you don't mind, uh, with each of your five NFL teams. I'll rattle them off, and you can give me a few thoughts about each one. Uh, we'll start off with your first NFL team, the New England Patriots. For New England Patriots, uh, it, uh, I was hurt two of those four years, and in between, everybody else was hurt, and I bounced around. So I didn't have the start to my career that I wanted in terms of bouncing around to different positions. But uh, it set up a, a trend for me of being really valuable to coaches because I could do so many things, and that started in New England. Uh, Detroit Lions. Uh, Barry Sanders. Mm. His rookie year, I was there, and I was on the field for a lot of his touchdowns. That was exciting. You had your head on a swivel, right, trying to see where he was. Yeah, well, I could just listen to the crowd kind of roar by. <laughs> yeah, which ones were yell- yelling the loudest, that's where he was. Uh, New York Jets. Most fun in the league. Uh, the, they maximized everything I could do. Uh, I was actually hurt um, in in a game. I was lying on the field. Uh, the only time I'd ever lie on the field injured and had to be helped off. And out came the doctor. Out came the trainer. I expected that. Out came the head coach. I didn't expect that because mm. it was only a minute and a half to go in the game. And he said, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not. And he says, well, get better. And he left. And then I realized later why uh, he came out onto the field. They had to um, – they had to restructure um, what they were doing. I mean, I, I started at, let's see, one, two, three different positions doing different things on the field, and then they had to reshuffle all the backup positions. They maximized all that versatility that the New England um, experience had started for me. Indianapolis Colts. Uh, frustration. That was where I learned that there are some people that didn't care. Uh, my second year there, we – we would fall behind by two scores early in the game, and guys would be talking about the uh, what they were going to do after the game. I'm looking around going, are you kidding me? And so I left the next year as a free agent. <laughs> Washington Redskins. Uh, loved playing for the Redskins. Uh, had some of the best coaches of my life there. It was a, a rich tradition. Uh, the fans were phenomenal. And, uh, and again, I, I, they maximized some of the things that I could do as a long snapper. I, I didn't look back on punts as a long snapper, which meant that we could do things that nobody else in the league could do that gave us a huge advantage. And really the last um, three punters on two different teams that I snapped for all went to the Pro Bowl in part because I could do stuff that changed the way our punt coverage unit worked. And Washington really maximized that as well. 
and you retained a relationship with the Skins we're going to get to now because when did you realize that uh, that life in the football media was going to be uh, the next phase of your life? It just it just happened. It just fell into it. My last year with the Redskins, I started doing radio, and, and they wanted me to do this little local cable TV thing, which I didn't want to do as a member of the team, but all I had to do was basically do throws, meaning I'd say, hey, welcome to Inside the Redskins. Now we're talking to Bob. You know, and just do that for a little bit, and then they'd edit it together. So I did that. And then it just led to, uh, it led to a broadcasting career, and I just stepped out of football into broadcasting. And the great thing about that, Greg, is that it kept me involved in the game. It's, playing football is like a drug. I mean, like an actual drug, the thrill of competition, the thrill of victory, the agonizing feeling you have when you, defeat, you, when you lose. And guys that have the most trouble are the ones that are separated from that cold turkey at the end of their career. I was able to walk away from a one-year largely guaranteed contract to stay and play a 13th year into broadcasting. So at the end of my career, I wasn't told to go away. I chose to go away. And then I've been involved with the game ever since as a broadcaster, and that's been such a blessing because I haven't had to be separated from the game that defined my identity for much of my life. Most national fans know you best for your work on the various ESPN platforms of video and audio. In the final 45 seconds I have with you, 30 to 45 seconds, what's your schedule going to be like now that the college season is over and your thoughts on what Clemson did to Alabama on Monday? Well, it's, uh, I'll hibernate for about a month, and then I'll hit the road again <laughs> and start visiting college programs. I think Clemson and Alabama uh, are two examples of how to do culture right. The family culture that they have is astonishing. Let me just – Clemson really quick. Um, the Clemson coach, Dabo Sweeney, encourages his assistant coaches to bring their wives and children to the complex. They've got miniature golf and bowling alleys and all kinds of stuff there for the players. They want the players to interact with those families because it, they see their coaches, not just as coaches, but as husbands and fathers as well. And that's important for their family sense there. But also it's an important example, Dabo Sweeney says, for those players for their life going out after football. Alabama does similar things. This is when football culture is right, and at its best it turns those young unguided missiles coming out of high school into good men. And that's what Lavelle Edwards did best. Trevor, I love talking with you. Thank you for taking some time for us tonight. We enjoy you so much and wish you the best of luck here in this season to come. Greg, I'm honored you would have me on. Thank you. Thank you so much. My interview with Trevor was tonight's Catching Up with the Cougar segment brought to you by BYU Alumni. BYU Alumni Chapters, helping students in need and spread the influence of the Y around the world. Stay connected for good and find your chapter at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Back to wrap up tonight's show after this. All right, thanks to our guests tonight, uh, Maddie Sidaway-Gates and Trevor Maddich. Next week, it's BYU golfer Peter Quest and former BYU hoopster Eric Nielsen. Thanks to Terry South, our coordinating producer, BYU Radio GM Don Shaline. And for those folks, I'm Greg Grubel. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Mic here on BYU Radio.